I want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of 1 John. Uh, Today is our last week in our series on emotions. Uh, Next week we're going to begin going through 1 Peter. Uh, But today, uh, being our last week on emotions, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 2. Depending on who you are in this room, meeting new people can be really intimidating, right? Even even for someone who's like an extrovert, uh, uh, you know, there's a a sense that which meeting new people can bring out like a lot of nerves. You know, an introvert or just not uh, meeting new, not used to meeting new people, you get all these nerves that you have to overcome to talk to to people. So. When I was in seminary, um, I went to this church where this guy mentored me for a little while. And this is before I got married. So this is a new city, I'm in a new school, and I'm going to a new church. Everything was new for me. Well, on one Sunday in particular, this is, I mean, probably one of the first five times I was going to this church. So on this particular Sunday, since I didn't know anybody else, I sat next to my friend. Uh, And... We were sitting near this guy who was a visitor. I didn't know he was a visitor, but my friend told me it's a visitor. And because he was he was kind of a pastor at that church, you know, one of, not really a pastor, kind of a pastor. But anyway, he he's trying to coach me, and he says, "Hey, go up and talk to this guy." Okay, I don't even know anything about this church really, <laughs> so I don't know what to tell him. So. The important thing to note here, too, is when I was in seminary, I was kind of introverted. Like, I don't know what happened to me during this time. I just got kind of introverted. It just happened. And so I look at my friend, and I'm like, really? Like, you want me to go talk to this stranger? He said, yeah, go talk to him. Okay, okay. So I have all these kinds of nerves, right? Uh, and there's music playing, and people are talking, so it's loud, right? So I already can't hear, and I, I am th- only 31, but I don't have good hearing anyway. So I go up to him, and I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Willis. I don't even like go to this church, or I'm not even a member here, but I'm introducing myself to you anyway. Uh, and uh, he tells me his name. Uh, and he tells me, he says, I like your shirt. Well, that's not what I heard. <laughs> so I responded to him, I like you too. <laughs> to a grown man who's a complete stranger to me who I had never met before. I was so embarrassed, and I like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was like, well, it's good to meet you, and I like hurried back right to my seat, because I was like, I cannot be what he said. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. And nerves are one of those things that you can't live with, but you can't live without them either. You can't live with them because they'll keep you from doing things that you need to do, right? Nerves, like, they'll keep you from going out and and being obedient or doing something that you should do. But you can't live without them because they they teach you the weight of doing something important, right? It's good to have nerves, uh, like uh, when you're speaking in front of people, or uh, in some cases, doing something when you don't feel like it. So so you can't live with them, you can't live without them. Guilt is a little bit like nerves. You can't live with guilt, but you can't live without guilt. The longer we live with guilt, the more it paralyzes us and keeps us from true forgiveness 
and reconciliation. Guilt keeps you trapped. But we can't live without guilt either. Guilt teaches us that we have done something wrong and it needs repairing. Imagine a society that embraces shamelessness, right? Doing things without any sense of guilt. All of us in this room have different experiences with guilt. For some of you, you should feel guilty when you don't. For others, you are feeling guilty when you shouldn't. And I'll explain what that means as we look at 1 John together. So let's read 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It seems to be in the majority of like murder mysteries, it's like a TV show or a book that you're reading, the culprit always turns out to be the person that you least expect. But there's always that one guy or girl that's like so suspicious, you're certain until the very end that it's them, when it's revealed it's totally, it's someone you didn't expect at all. And, and we're led this, we're led to believe this because of the way we, we feel about this person. Right? And because we, we feel about them, the way we feel about them, we try to bring up evidence and he, to peg to him that he's the real murderer, he's the real criminal, or whatever. But our feelings, right, are often not exactly reliable guides. That's exactly how mystery novels work, is they try to get your feelings worked up in you and hiding that, the evidence along the way. In fact, our feelings can often cloud what's true. So before we ever start talking about emotions, we need to first start with the fact of guilt. The fact of guilt. John starts here describing something about God. And that is... God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now, this is something that's Christianity 101. God is light. Yes and amen. And and we know that that means that He is holy and pure and good and true. Right? That's what I'll say what God is light means. But I think John uses this word in another sense too. Because light is also used to bring clarity and to expose things. I'm not going to go into the crawl space beneath my house without a flashlight. Hey, because I can't see where I'm going and there are centipedes down there. And I'm not going down there and facing a centipede in the dark. So God is light means he will only bring clarity and exposure as well. In this way, 
God and His Word function as a measure. Okay? We're lining ourselves up with who and what God is to bring exposure and greater clarity. This is exactly what John is saying in verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if God is light and our lives are darkness, then by default, He's going to expose that darkness if we're trying to walk with Him. Conversely, if that is not being exposed, then that means we're not walking with God at all. But here's something that I want to point out. Earlier I said some of you don't feel guilt when you should be feeling guilt. This is what I mean. As long as you are walking in darkness and claiming to be in the light, lack of guilt will only keep you there. You need to be exposed. God and His Word are the the measures to show us the fact of guilt before we ever feel guilty at all. right? Whether you feel guilty or not, it, measuring yourself up with God and His Word is going to expose the fact that you are guilty. It doesn't matter how you feel about what you do. I have a friend who's, she has a brother and, and his, he was married. And I say he was married because his wife cheated on him. And one thing that his wife did, which was really interesting, was to say, I've prayed about it and I've read my Bible and this is what I need to do. I separate from you. There's a lot to unpack in that. And in fact, that's like a psychologist's dream. Like a Christian psychologist, there's a lot to unpack in that. But the obvious point is that she doesn't feel guilt when she ought to feel immense guilt. Because of the fact of guilt. The fact remains that she is guilty whether she feels that in her life or not. The same is true about some, how some Christians argue that their freedom allows them to watch shows that, that really like Christians shouldn't watch. Like, I mean, I, I'm talking like shows that have like graphic nudity. You know, and they argue that their freedom allows to watch them and, and so they don't feel bad about it. So it must not be bad without considering it doesn't matter how you feel about it. <laughs> it's the fact of it that matters first and foremost. And so I warn some of you, if you are walking in darkness, your lack of guilt should alarm you. The lack of guilt in your life should cause sirens to go off. On the other hand, John says here, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. What John is talking about here is assurance. right? What, what John wants in this whole letter is, is for them to know whether they are saved. Right? And this is how he's doing it. And this, he's saying, is how you can have assurance. And the main way we can tell someone's a Christian is by two things, Okay? We can't see into people's hearts, so we have to rely on these two things. Confession and their fruit. Are they confessing Christ and the central tenets of Christianity, and are they living fruitfully, consistently in that? 
Those are the two measures that we have to tell whether someone's a Christian. And here is exactly where Scripture is the measure. How do you know if you're living a fruitful life? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We're looking at fruit. Not how we might feel about certain things, but actual fruit. And it's not hard to find places in Scripture that list different fruits. Jesus talks about how, right, many will come as wolves in sheep's clothing, but you will know them by their fruit. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. Right, uh, there's lists in Corinthians all over Scripture, but I, I want to go specifically to Second Peter chapter one. He says this: For this every, very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sin. So fruit is evidence that we are walking in the light, that we are saved. It's not the basis of our assurance. Christ is the basis of our assurance. But fruit is the evidence. Conversely, Lack of fruit should cause us to wonder. Specifically, it should cause us to wonder the fact of guilt. Whether we are guilty and we don't know it. But I think here, we run into a tension. Or a paradox, if you will. That's because if we're honest and we really try to measure ourselves against the standard of Scripture, we wouldn't say we walk in the light as we ought. Scott Saul said that ironically, the more like Jesus we actually become, the more unlike Jesus we realize we are. The closer you get to the light, the darker the shadow becomes. So now we come to our second point, the feeling of guilt. The feeling of guilt. This is an appropriate transition because, again, this is exactly what John says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is, this is exactly why we live in this tension, in this paradox. If we walk in the lie, examining ourselves should reveal fruit, but at the same time, it's going to reveal sin also. Here's the problem. Here's the danger, though. You might, after examining yourself, conclude that you're not guilty after all. This is where feelings are incredibly important. If you never feel guilt for your sin, remorse over wrongdoing, or pain from hurting someone, you won't be inclined to admit your guilt. Your feelings become more of a sin against more than a sinner. But here's the comfort for those of you with guilt. 
Verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Freedom from guilt is found in embracing it and confessing it. The, the thing about guilt is that we try to hide it. Right? If we're guilty, we try to suppress it or play it down or, or explain it away. But John goes on to verse 10 in verse 10 to say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. But freedom is found when we say, Yeah, I'm guilty. In fact, I'm probably more guilty than I think I am. But Christ is good to forgive my guilt. Shane and Shane uh, described this well in a song called um, Embracing Accusation. And it goes like this. The father of lies coming to steal, kill, and destroy all my hopes of being good enough. I hear him saying, cursed are the ones who can't abide. He's right. Hallelujah, he's right. The devil is preaching the song of the redeemed that I am cursed and gone astray. I cannot gain salvation embracing accusation. Here's what happens or should happen when you feel guilty. Is you say, I am guilty. I'm not worthy. I, I am nothing but a worm. The guilt that I see and the guilt that I feel is just but a fraction of the guilt that I actually carry. But Christ is faithful and just to forgive me. He came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He died for the guilty. And those who feel guilty. Because here's the thing about guilt. Sometimes it's the devil trying to keep you there. Right? Sometimes the devil tries to remind you of sin or error or whatever in your life to keep you there. And sometimes it happens simply because we're falling, our emotions are falling all out of whack. But know that the feelings of guilt don't always equal the fact of guilt. See? We're all out of whack here. 1 John 3.20 says, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. You see this tension that we live in? We're guilty if we walk in the darkness. But all of us will to some degree find some guilt even if we do walk in the light. So we confess our guilt to Christ. And yet sometimes guilt happens when we may not actually be guilty. The solution is the same. Resting our hearts in the heart of God for sinners in Christ. This brings us to our last point. The function of guilt. John writes in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Isn't John wonderfully simple and profound and frustrating all at the same time? If you sin, you walk in darkness. Those who walk with God will walk in light. But if anybody says they're without sin, they're liars. If you do sin, God is good to forgive you. But don't sin. Thank you, John. One implication, implication of what John is saying that pertains specifically to our sermon today is that yes, all of us to some degree are guilty of sin, but don't add to the fact of your guilt. 
Right? All of us are guilty to some degree of sin, but don't add to that guilt. David wrote like this in Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Nobody. Forgive my hidden faults. And then this is what he says. Like, I know I'm guilty. I'm, I'm plagued with sin. And then he says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. It's like when I was a teenager and me and some friends were driving somebody else's uh, four-wheeler. And it's actually, uh, they, they have different names. It's uh, four-by-four, is that what they call them? Or a mule or whatever. It's the one with the doors on it. Anyway, we were driving it really recklessly for something that wasn't ours. And we ended up flipping it over and damaging one of the doors. But we only added to our guilt by lying about it and trying to cover it up. Didn't work out for us in the end. My friend, the one who was driving, ended up, <laughs> a really fitting punishment. He ended up had, having to work for the guy uh, who owned chicken farms. And if you've ever been around a uh, chicken farm, well, you should go experience it for yourself. It is the most putrid smell on earth. So he really got his just punishment um, for that. A- anyway, so, so, right, so that's what John is saying. It's like, yes, you're guilty, just he don't add to the, the fact of your guilt. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Whether we're talking about the fact of being guilty or the feelings of being guilty, all guilt has one goal. To drive us to Christ. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. World, Guilt has a function. One of my favorite books of all time is The Scarlet Letter. I've talked about this before. But in it, the two main protagonists are guilty uh, by sleeping together and having a child out of wedlock. And this happens in Puritan New England. So it's like a huge deal. So the woman, Hester, uh, whose guilt is known to everyone, doesn't feel guilty. Follow me? The man, Arthur, his guilt is secret. Nobody knows that he's guilty, but he feels immensely guilty. He's consumed by guilt, actually. And at the end of the book, Arthur, the man, confesses his sin to the whole town, but he's dying because he's so ill. It goes... Like this. Shall we meet again? Whispered Hester, bending her face down close to his. Shall we not spend our immortal life together? Listen to what Arthur says. God knows. And he is merciful. He hath proved his mercy most of all in my afflictions by giving me this burning torture to bear upon my breast. In other words, Arthur's guilt that he carried for so long was a mercy because it was meant to drive him to guilt's only solution. God's mercy. All guilt has a function. Whether it's the fact of being guilty or feelings of being guilty, they are meant to drive us to the only possible resolution. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Propitiation for our sins. 
And it is in this way we cannot live with guilt and we cannot live without it. We cannot live with guilt because as long as it paralyzes us, as long as we hold on to it, we're not trusting Christ. If you are consumed by guilt today, the reality is is that you're trying to deal with your own guilt by your own works. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough or go to church enough or give enough to deal with your guilt. Only Christ is the solution to your guilt. Holding on to your guilt is a rejection of Christ. But casting your guilt on Him and trusting in His righteousness alone is exactly where that guilt is meant to drive you. On the other hand, we can't live without guilt. Because as long as we don't feel guilty or see that we are guilty, we will never truly trust in Christ. We'll never be driven to our knees in desperation to say, I am a hopeless worm who has no righteousness in Him at all. Christ, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Guilty, guilty, guilty. With no escape. Brennan Manning, he's a Catholic priest and an author, and he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, and I think he got it right when he wrote, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good, and I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. So my question is, what do you feel this morning? Because the goal is the same. To drive you to Christ and His sufficiency for guilty sinners. And if you have not trusted in Christ, today is the day to trust in Christ because He will receive you. But let us all, in this moment, respond to this living Savior who beckons us to bring all of our wrecked emotions. All the emotions that we've been through in this series, He invites all of us to bring all those wrecked emotions and all of our guilt to Him. And He is faithful. He is just. He is our advocate. He is our sustainer. And Him alone is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. So let's respond to His Word, to this Savior who's speaking to you. Let's respond to Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is amazing that guilt keeps us from You. And we pile onto our sin by hiding behind guilt holding on to our guilt, trying to do good enough to get rid of guilt. We add sin upon sin, and yet you are the Savior who says, no, that guilt is meant to drive you to me. Because you are a Savior of abundant mercy and grace. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would convict us where we are guilty, that we would see our guilt, And Lord, for those of us who are in guilt, God, I pray that we would be driven 
to your righteousness and to say, yes, I am guilty. I am so wickedly guilty. But that's exactly who you died for and exactly the kind of righteousness righteousness I need is found in you alone. Thank you for your grace. God, I I don't want to say thank you for guilt, but I want to say thank you for the solution to guilt. We need you, Lord Jesus. Trust in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.